0: Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
1: If you think of the state of Nevada, you might think Las Vegas, Sin City. But 500 miles from Vegas in the northwest corner of the state, it's not so much casinos and neon lights, but more mountains and wide-open desert. And while in Vegas you might be looking
2: for a hot hand in
1: poker, here they specialize in hot rocks.
2: The reason we chose Nevada was really because of its unique geology.
1: That's Sarah Jewett, the VP of strategy for Fervo Energy, a startup that's working on geothermal power. It was those hot rocks underfoot that brought Fervo to Nevada to do an experiment trying a new technique for generating geothermal electricity.
2: Fervo called it Project RED. I think Project RED was really an opportunity for us to show that all of the science and all of the math that we put into this process, which really had never been used in geothermal energy before, was really applicable for geothermal development.
1: Geothermal refers to heat produced and released from the Earth's core. It's the same force behind things like hot springs and geysers. Geothermal power is electricity generated from that heat. To harness its energy, companies put power plants on top of the places where water and hot rocks are close to the surface.
2: Sort of ground floor geothermal energy, there is a steam-bearing reservoir, and for lack of of more technical terms, you basically stick a straw into the ground, you can pull up steam, run it through a turbine, and generate electricity. That's sort of geothermal 0.0. 0.
1: Geothermal 0. 0.0 is also called conventional geothermal, or hydrothermal energy. Roland Horn, the director of the geothermal program at Stanford University, says much of the geothermal energy being generated in the U.S. is coming from the West, including states like Nevada.
3: Right now in California, we have 6% of our electricity generated from geothermal. The state of Nevada has 10% of its electricity generated from geothermal.
1: The water and hot rocks that could generate geothermal energy, they're actually everywhere. But finding them together, close to the surface, that's a bit more rare.
3: The reason that California and Nevada have those percentages is that we are in some of those geologically advantageous places. They're close to the volcanoes. They've got a good water source, high temperature. So there are many of those, but they're not universal. They're not in every place.
1: Getting to that rock means sometimes drilling thousands of feet or even miles underground.
3: And that means that if we drilled sufficiently deep, actually we could have geothermal anywhere or everywhere.
1: New technology being tested here in the U.S. could make that happen if proof-of-concept can become a fully-scaled industry. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Alex Osola. Today, we're digging into geothermal energy and how new techniques could transform how more of us get our electricity. Stay with us.
4: So, how do we get AI right?
2: Well, we need the right volume of data, the software to train it, and massive compute power, or. Another one bites the dust.
4: Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat?
2: But with HPE GreenLake, we get access to supercomputing to power AI at the scale we need, helping generate better insights. All right. Nice teamwork, guys.
4: Search HPE GreenLake.
1: Geothermal energy has been produced for more than a century. The first geothermal plant on record dates back to 1904 in Italy's Tuscany region. Here's Stanford's Roland Horn.
3: Now there are more than 25 countries in the world which are generating electricity from geothermal.
1: Today, the U.S. is the world's biggest producer of geothermal energy. It generated 17 billion kilowatt-hours in 2022, enough to power 1.6 million homes for a year. That may sound like a lot, but it's really not. Geothermal made up just 0.4% of all electricity generated in the U.S. last year. Proponents say there's a lot to like about geothermal. Like solar and wind, geothermal energy is renewable, so its source doesn't get depleted as it generates electricity. And also like solar and wind, producing geothermal energy releases little or no planet-warming carbon dioxide. But Roland Horn says geothermal has an advantage over solar and wind.
3: One of the important characteristics of geothermal is it's all-the-time power. So you can have it running 24-7. And that means that as you have solar and wind going up and down during the day or during the month, then you have something to back it up, something other than fossil-fuel-fired power stations.
1: Though it's expensive to set up a geothermal plant, Once it's in place, it's pretty cheap to operate. And they often last for decades. Today, geothermal is generating at least some energy in countries like Iceland, Indonesia, and the U.S. And geothermal could produce more of our energy in the future. A 2019 report from the Energy Department estimated that geothermal energy could generate 8.5% of the U.S.'s electricity by 2050. That would mean 516 million metric tons less of carbon dioxide emitted into the atmosphere. That's the equivalent of removing 6 million cars from the road. Geothermal can also heat and cool individual homes. Geothermal supporters say this could be an important way to cut down on our overall carbon emissions. But to reach those 2050 estimates, we need new techniques to access those hot rocks beyond the surface. And for a while, we simply weren't looking for them. There was some investment in geothermal in the 1970s and 80s, but that money mostly dried up into the early 2000s, which means that in the 50 or so years since then,
0: geothermal has been limited to conventional sources. Geothermal had just treaded water for decades. So an unknown, the redheaded stepchild of the Renewables family, nobody cares, irrelevant. That's Jamie Beard, the executive
1: director of Project Space, a nonprofit focused on the expansion of geothermal.
0: But recently, she says, geothermal has become a lot less stagnant. Even in the last 36 months, there has been a massive... uh, I mean, we're in a renaissance right now for geothermal. This
1: renaissance is happening because of new technology and techniques. And those are coming from a source that has a lot of experience digging into the Earth's crust, the oil and gas industry.
0: And here's the cool part. The shale boom spun off a whole lot of really relevant and really impactful technologies that are enabling us to develop geothermal resources in many, many more places in the world, not just where hydrothermal exists.
1: In fact, one of the leading techniques for this new age of geothermal is pretty similar to hydraulic fracturing, otherwise known as fracking. It's called Enhanced Geothermal Systems, or EGS, The two techniques are so similar, in fact, that they even share equipment. Fervo's Sarah Jewett again.
2: Because this process is pretty similar to what the oil and gas industry is doing, it's really interesting. We pulled all of our equipment off of oil and gas sites. And then when they left our site, they went back to an oil and gas basin.
1: The idea behind EGS is that instead of relying on nature to put hot water close to the surface, you can drill down, create space in the rock, add water to that space, and
2: voila, you've engineered more or less the same conditions. Enhanced geothermal systems. This idea that you actually don't have to have perfect subsurface conditions to convey fluid from an injection well to a production well, but actually that all you need is heat.
1: This is what FERFO was testing in Project RED, its experiment in northern Nevada. Jewett told me how it went.
2: We drill a pair of horizontal wells into a really low permeability area.
1: Quick geology lesson. Permeability refers to how well fluid can move through rock. Sedimentary rocks like shale, where natural gas can often be found, have higher permeability than the harder metamorphic and igneous rocks. Those are the kind that FERVO drilled into for its experiment.
2: Then we use high-pressured water to create pathways between those two wells.
1: The two wells are shaped like two giant capital L's, each about 7 inches in diameter. The vertical part of the L extends nearly 8000 feet below the surface and the horizontal part at the bottom of the L extends out another 3000 feet. The rock here is about 375 degrees Fahrenheit and boom, it creates a circuit.
2: And then you can basically push water down an injection well across a reservoir where it heats up an upper production well to generate electricity.
1: Fervo started drilling in early 2022 and finished in March 2023. Once the wells were in place, the team spent about a month doing tests to make sure everything was working the way they expected. They say the results were promising.
2: Project RED was what we like to think about as really our proof of technology. I think the fact that our models matched reality shows us that we actually have a really, really solid approach and we have the architecture in place to be able to go be successful in multiple locations. So it was a smashing success from my perspective.
1: Since it was founded in 2017, Fervo has raised $184 million in investment and been awarded roughly 20 million more in federal grants. And it plans to keep moving forward. It just broke ground on its next project in Southern Utah. As for the Nevada site, Jewett says a nearby facility plans to sell electricity generated from those wells. So Fervo showed that EGS can work, but that doesn't mean it's without risks. The biggest one? that EGS, much like fracking, could cause earthquakes. That's called induced seismicity.
2: I think induced seismicity is obviously a huge issue for geothermal.
1: EGS projects monitor seismicity and have plans in place for what to do if any is detected. The Energy Department has a set of guidelines for this. Sarah Jewett detailed FERVO's protocol.
2: We place any seismic events that are sensed basically on a scale of green good to go, yellow, cause for concern and stop operations, or red, completely stop operations altogether. And so as this project went on, we really, really adhered closely to this Induced Seismicity Mitigation Protocol and actually saw only in the green seismic events, which are you know, not detectable by human beings at all. Researchers have
1: found that geothermal systems don't often induce strong earthquakes, but they do happen. In 2017, a magnitude 5.5 earthquake struck the coastal city of Pohang, South Korea. It injured more than 90 people and caused tens of millions of dollars in damages. Two years after the quake, a South Korean panel determined that a nearby geothermal experiment was the probable cause. Another risk? Even though geologists and engineers have gathered as much data as possible about what's going on under the surface, things might not go according to plan.
3: You know, the whole Earth X-ray, that, that's what we would all love to have. It doesn't exist, unfortunately. We can very rarely exactly measure the things that we want to know. So we're making a lot of indirect kind of inferences as to what is actually there.
1: In practice, that might mean the companies have to drill deeper than they thought to get to rock that is sufficiently hot. Or they might encounter something unexpected that kills the project altogether.
3: There have been some EGS plants, for example, particularly one I'm thinking of in Switzerland called St. Gallen, where they were drilling an EGS system and drilled into a natural gas reservoir. Not an operating one, they found it actually in the process. But that, of course, was problematic for them because having natural gas coming in the geothermal fluids was not good for the point of view of the geothermal plant. So they abandoned it for that reason.
1: The risk here isn't safety so much as economic. So much of geothermal's cost is upfront at the drilling stage. Some projects can cost upward of $500 million, but most are in the $50 to $100 million range, depending on how deep you have to go. A failed drilling effort like this can mean financial disaster for a company and its backers. Another potential issue is that EGS uses a lot of water. An energy department estimate says a single large plant could use more than six million gallons over the course of its lifetime. That amount could make a big difference in places where water is scarce. Still, Horn says these experiments show that the fundamentals are there for EGS.
3: I I don't know that there are massive numbers of technological questions. I mean, I think many of them have been raised and solved as we propagate EGS, for example, into a, a wider exploitation in a larger number of places then we will get better at it and remove a lot of the risk.
1: It could also help pave the way for other approaches that push the limits of what geothermal can do. More on those techniques after the break.
0: Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP.
3: From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything.
1: We mentioned earlier that Fervo, the company that's been testing EGS, is now working on a project in southern Utah, about 200 miles south of Salt Lake City. But it's not the only geothermal effort in that state. There's a longtime geothermal research facility right next door. Joseph Moore is its managing principal investigator.
4: The FORGE Project this is the frontier observatory for research in geothermal energy.
1: Like Fervo, FORGE is testing equipment and techniques for EGS. But FORGE isn't a company. It's a research project out of the University of Utah and funded by the Energy Department. So what it aims to get out of those tests is a bit different.
4: We're not going to produce electricity at this point. The real goal is to demonstrate the process and that we can do this anywhere. And that, that's really critical.
1: To get geothermal closer to those 2050 estimates, Moore says there need to be many additional experiments.
4: The key right now is doing it again and again and again, right? You can't do it here and say, we figured out how to do it, we're done. It's going to take duplication, replication of these projects to get there. More projects, more tests, more trials, more forges is going to give us a long way to where we need to be.
1: Okay, so we need more experiments. Doing them takes money. Lauren Boyd is a senior advisor in the Geothermal Technologies Office at the Energy Department.
0: We see this dramatic gap in where there is funding to support technology companies and developers in testing and in the field at scale. And the opportunity to learn by doing, the opportunity to hypothesis test and then to push along the learning curve to improve our technologies can only be done in these demonstrations.
1: For this fiscal year, the Energy Department's Geothermal Technologies Office has a budget of $118 million. For comparison, The department's solar energy division had a budget of $318 million. The geothermal office uses that money to fund geothermal projects that come from academia, national laboratories, and industry. In February, the department announced that it was awarding up to $74 million for EGS projects alone. Winners are expected to be announced this month.
0: We're focused on EGS because there is this near-term potential.
1: But as Project Interspaces Jamie Beard points
0: out, EGS
1: is not the only technique that could help geothermal scale.
0: EGS, cool, it's a piece of a puzzle. And if I was going to bet my money, I would bet it on geothermal, not a very specific technology within geothermal. Right, because I think we're too early right now in this renaissance period to bet on a horse. We need to be funding all the horses. Let's talk about some of those
1: other horses and who's betting on them. One approach is called deep geothermal. This is pretty much just what it sounds like. It means drilling really deep to get to hot rocks, to a layer of crust called the basement.
3: The basement is much more universal across the world. And that's going to make things easier for many, many reasons. You know, less uncertainty, less differentiation, more competent rock, less permeability, all attributes that actually allow you to drill deeper.
1: That's Carlos Araque, co-founder and CEO of a company called Quaze Energy. And when he says deeper, he means really deep. 12 miles below the surface, twice as deep as Mount Everest is high. There, rocks can be more than 900 degrees Fahrenheit. At depths and temperatures like these, conventional drilling equipment just won't cut it. So Quaze is working on a completely new approach.
4: We talk about
3: millimeter wave drilling, It's basically using ideas from fusion research. We use energy beams, not lasers, but masers with an M, to vaporize rock.
1: Arake and his team plan to use their technology to drill two connected wells to generate steam, just like an EGS. At least, that's the idea. They plan to start two field-based tests in Texas and Oregon next year, with the hope of generating revenue starting in 2028. Okay, so Quaze's approach means going deep— But there's another different technique that means going deep and far. It's called closed loop. Ever, a Canadian startup, is working on this. John Redfern, Ever's president and CEO, explained his company's technique.
4: You got two
3: drilling rigs side by side, drilling in parallel. They branch out into 12 laterals each, which are then connected. And so it makes a continuous circuit from the surface through these multilaterals, and then back up to the surface. We call it the
1: Everloop. Like EGS, the Everloop is created by drilling down vertically and circulating water between the surface and the hot rock below. But one major difference is that after they drill those vertical wells, they're connecting a whole bunch of horizontal wells deep underground. That's the 12 laterals Redfern mentioned. Those horizontal wells give the water more space to heat up as it circulates.
3: Essentially, what we're constructing is a huge radiator kilometers below the surface that you flow clean water through. It circulates just like the radiator in your house.
1: Redfern says closed-loop has some advantages over EGS. It requires less water and can be used in a wider range of geological contexts, though both closed-loop and deep geothermal come with risks like generating earthquakes. Right now, Ever is working on its first commercial project in Reed, Germany, The site will start producing power and heat at the end of 2024, but drilling will continue into 2026. Once it's done, Ever plans to have drilled about 180 miles. Two of Ever's investors include the energy companies BP and Chevron. Geothermal obviously really plays to our strengths both in our history of geothermal, but also in subsurface and drilling and wells and major capital project execution. That's Barbara Harrison, a vice president at Chevron New Energies, where she oversees projects working on novel ways to generate power. Chevron is investing $10 billion over seven years in lower carbon solutions. That isn't just limited to geothermal energy, though that makes up a part of it. We're at the point now with these novel technologies where they are technically feasible. We know the technology works. And our opportunity now is to say, can we make these competitive commercial solutions? We have a number of pilots that we're progressing around the world. So it's a very targeted and strategic pilot approach with the goal to then be able to grow that into larger projects that really become competitive solutions in a global landscape. As for other oil giants, BP says it isn't significantly involved in geothermal beyond an investment in ever. Shell and ExxonMobil did not respond to requests for comment. So geothermal has the potential to change how we power our homes and offices, But even if everything goes according to plan, it's gonna take time for these new geothermal techniques to scale. So let's look farther into the future. What will the geothermal landscape look like in 2050? The energy department's Lauren Boyd says it may make a difference in your electric bill.
0: Our goal is for power production that's at a cost that's on par with with what folks pay today, or in many cases, will be lower. The goal here is to deploy technologies that are gonna save Americans money and also provide them with clean carbon-free power.
1: But Stanford's Roland Horn says expanding that technology may take a while.
3: Once you get further east, towards the east coast, the subsurface of the country gets colder and therefore you'd have to drill deeper. So, you know, in the next 20, 30 years, EGS is likely to be Texas and west. But if we're talking about 50 to 100 years, we could imagine expanding to the entire country if you can drill to sufficient depths to get useful temperatures.
1: Jamie Beard, who runs the nonprofit Project Interspace, says it will take more than one technique to bring geothermal to all those places. But betting on all the horses
0: could mean that we all win. So geothermal is kind of like a buffet. So all the concepts that are out there, some of them are better for some regions than others. You know, we're we're going to need to make sure that when we look to scale geothermal globally, a one concept fits all approach isn't going to be the way to go. We're going to need to match the concept to the specific place that the concept is being built.
1: The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Alex Osula. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Michael Laval and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers and wrote our theme Music Catherine Millsop is our supervising producer. Aisha al muslim is our development producer. Scott Salloway and Chris Dinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. Like the show? Tell your friends. And leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com WSJ.